Welcome to the Alliant in the Public Eye podcast, a show dedicated to exploring risk management topics and challenges faced by today's public sector leaders. Here are your hosts, Carlene Patterson and Justin Swarbrick. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of In the Public Eye. We have spent the last couple of podcasts talking about weather and how it has impacted the insurance market. And one element we push here at Alliant is looking at catastrophe modeling, making sure our, our clients understand the schedule of values, where your values are, how they're protected, and where do you have large concentrations. So today, Justin and I have invited one of our in-house cat modeling analysts to talk about cat modeling uses and misconceptions. Ali, we're happy to have you join us today. And before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about your background and your role here at Alliant? Hi, so I am based out of New York, VP of CAP Modeling, and my background has been in the analysis or analytics, you know, arena for the last uh, 10 years. It used to be insurance pricing models and loss models, and then about five years ago, I jumped into CAP Modeling uh, at my previous employer, USAA, and then uh, right around the end of 2019 uh, is when I, or say early 2020 is when I joined Aligned. And for Aligned, I handle all internal cat modeling needs. All right. So when we're talking about catastrophe modeling, there's a lot of acronyms that we throw around. AAI, RMS, AIR, thousand year flood, hundred year flood, um, CAT. So just what exactly is catastrophe modeling? Yeah, catastrophe modeling is uh, not your, a lot of people think when they hear the word modeling, they tend to assume that it's something to do or in the analyst or the analytics arena, they tend to think of taking history and just, you know, repeating it, running a statistical model and seeing, you know, if you can predict the next year, next 10 years. So cat modeling is about understanding a phenomena natural catastrophes that are very, very hard to predict. You know, nobody knows when the next earthquake will happen. Nobody knows where the next hurricane will strike. Well, we have good ideas and we have probabilistic, you know, measures that will tell us, but nobody can know for certain or with a very high degree of confidence, let's say. The history of CAP models is that they were developed to fill a role. You know, insurance industry was blind to the risk of catastrophes until 1990s. That's when Hurricane Hugo, Hurricane Andrew and the Northridge earthquake happened. You know, that's when they realized uh, natural catastrophes not only pose a very high risk that can wipe out quite a tremendous amount of capital from the insurance industries, that there is a possibility of even worse storms and worse earthquakes that can, you know, severely damage uh, the insurance industry, the economic, can cause a lot of economic losses too. So they were developed uh, to fill that gap because your past 10 years can't tell you how next 10 years of hurricane activity would be. You know, if you think about 2005 to 2010, 12, you know, we had a very, or after the Katrina season, and then until 2010, 11, we had a very low hurricane activity. And then all of a sudden, boom, you know, for the last two, three years, we have been getting cat four, cat five every year. So if you just look at recent history and trying to predict, you know, your losses for the next five, 10 years, you're going to be severely 
wrong. <laughs> so right. what what cat models try and do is they they simulate tens of hundreds of thousands of years of uh, weather phenomena or uh, you know uh, seismic phenomena to understand basically what you can expect every year, like on an average, like if you had what your average loss could be, what's the worst uh, that could happen, you know, so what's the probability of uh, getting a, what could happen every 10 years, what can happen every 20 years, you know, the kind of storms, the kind of events you can expect and then hedge against them. Uh, because these models were really developed for the reinsurance industry. And, you know, I'm going to keep coming back to that point of view is that cat models are developed to be right on average. They're not deterministic models. They're not supposed to be right every time. You know, if you have a, a cat five make landfall, you can say, well, this was only supposed to be a one in 500 year event. I saw one last year. Why am I saying, you know, every, this year too, you know, it's supposed to wait 500 years. That's not how cat models work. These are annual probabilities. So what you asked about one in 1,000, one in 100, these are annual probabilities. And you know, there, there, there's a lot of confusion about how these, you know, num what these numbers mean. So whenever we advise our clients, whenever you have any question, do come back and ask us more. You can never ask us enough about cat modeling. You know, what these numbers are, and we're happy to help you understand what AAL means, what one in 250 means, and rather than making an assumption, you know, because that's the worst thing you could do about any scientific model is make an assumption and just roll with it. Yeah. And, and it's good that you are on the team, Ali, because uh, it is helpful to have you analyze the models that we get back and, and use those to our advantage. For us as brokers, having clients all over the country, we have clients that are exposed to earthquake, wildfire, hurricane, severe convective storm, obviously flood. And we know that there's models for all those different perils. Can you explain the difference between the, the modeling approaches to, to the different uh, perils that we typically will look at? Yeah, sure. So as you said, different perils, you know, different phenomena. Earthquake is a seismic activity. Hurricane is, you know, atmospheric activity. In reality, all cat models have any peril. They have three main components. One big component is hazard, the actual damage, you know, how, how damage occurs. So let's work with an example of hurricane. When you think of hurricane, the hazards are the wind, right? The surge, right? If you think of earthquake, the hazard is shake, landslide liquefaction and you have tsunami, you have uh, you know, a fire following earthquake. So that's the hazard component of you know, any uh, peril. Every peril, the hazard is developed separately in a, you know, in a different way. Then you take that hazard uh, and then you get into the vulnerability part of you know, where you actually convert that hazard you know, to understand how much damage it will do to a per particular location. Right, so that's component two is vulnerability, uh, and then the third piece is uh, you know actual the financial modeling of it. You know, okay, now I know what my damage ratio would be. Damage ratio is how much of your replacement cost. You know, is that you know was damaged basically what percent of loss of your replacement cost? Uh, you know, suffered a loss. So I, just a. Um... A little follow-up to that. One of the, the items we've talked about on this podcast 
over the past several episodes is is what they they call the bullseye zone. So yeah. you know there's there's overdevelopment, and it's not necessarily that the weather is getting worse, but but we're becoming more overdeveloped, which has caused these losses. So do the models take that into account? So the models, uh, of course, they don't have to take that into account, right? Because the models are not, uh, I guess we're talking about climate science now. So I'm going to switch a little bit of gears. Uh, you're absolutely right. The reason we're seeing a lot of increase in, let's say, you know, especially severe convective storm losses is because, you know, our footprint has, you know, expanded. And wildfire too, now we are in, people are building houses uh, very close to, you know, forests or woods. And that's creating a lot of interaction between, you know, human beings and wild, uh, wild land where it, there was none before, you know, so, and human beings are the largest source of, you know, wildfire triggers. You know, we like to blame, you know, a lot of things, but it's human activity, you know, that causes a lot of the wildfires. So yeah, our footprint has increased, but that's not where I would say the gap models need are lacking. If you drop in an exposure in gap modeling, it will pick up the hazard. Right. You know? Okay. So that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. It will be fine. Yeah. That's not the blind spot, you know, for gap models. Got it. Got They're it. They're very good at that. All right. Well, I, I didn't mean to derail us there, but. Um... Oh, no, no, no. So the only point I would make about your last question about it was so there are, so generally that's how, you know, all perils are modeled. They have three big components. But within those, there's a lot of differences. So right. like a hazard of severe thunderstorm is very tricky to race differently. The hazard of wildfire, earthquake, or, you know. So within them, you know, within each barrel, there's a, there are a lot of differences. But okay. on the surface, you know, there is a general process of how you develop gap models. Can you talk a little bit more about that, Ali, and, and maybe what information is necessary yeah, yeah. So run a modeling. From, yeah, from our end, you know, when you are so there are two two processes. You know, there were the developers process, you know, which I talked about, uh, where RMS, AIR, KCC, you know, these companies they utilize a certain process to develop the models, and we are then the consumers of the model, right? We run the models on our clients' book. So for us, you know, the most important things are you know, as uh, you know, the oldest cliche in the modeling world, garbage in, garbage out, right? We need good data, you know, and we can't emphasize enough with our clients how they need to be invested. And, in, you know, they're spending a lot of money, you know, in, on insurance and, you know, protecting themselves and they would, they should invest a lot of effort in making sure that the data they provide us to run those models is, you know, as clean as possible you know, that you understand where your buildings are, you know, where you understand uh, what the construction types are, what the occupancies are, what all the different values are. So there is no surprise at the end, you know, when you see the results. The SOV, the statement of values that we get from our clients, I think it, it falls on us to our brokers too, as brokers, you know, we need to educate our clients because clients don't know, you know, right? What a cat model is or not every client knows. Some are well-versed, you know, they've been in the industry long enough. But we as brokers, we have a lot of responsibility on that end too, to educate our uh, clients. Okay, this is what a cap model is. You know, this is why, this is how it plays a big role in your insurance premium. 
This is why we need the data that goes into running these models needs to be absolutely as perfect as possible. You raise a really interesting point, which, you know, you talk about how modeling was started for the reinsurance industry and, you know, that there's a lot of different firms out there that do modeling. Um, I'm curious, you know, why have we, you know, Alliant invested in our own in-house modeling? Like, what is it, you know, the advantage that you bring to our teams as opposed to what we could get, you know, I guess from a carrier or something? Yeah, so we are not, so we are not developing our own models, right? We license, uh, a, you know, a particular vendor right now, we are using RMS's uh, model and RMS is, you know, the biggest dog in the industry, as they say. So the, the, the advantage is simple, you know, from getting, instead of getting third party or, you know, some wholesaler running your models, uh, you, we are getting in-house, you're doing, you do it in-house now and, uh, the amount of effort that goes in, and as, as I said before, to properly run catastrophe models, it's it's quite significant. You know, the amount of data cleaning and making sure you know that all the fields are mapped properly. You know, there's no laziness behind it, and then the constant the education back. You know that we can provide to our clients. You know, it's not something that you send an email and you get a PDF back. You know, there's a constant communication with our clients. Okay. This is why your results are high. This is what changed from last year. You know, there's, this is where you can improve your model performance the most. You know, this is, these are locations that cost, that have the highest uh, expected losses. We need more information about them. And then we can, you know, work with them and some engineering companies, you know, to help them understand and get their data, you know, in good order. Okay, so it sounds like it's a lot when you were talking about just getting the data in like garbage in garbage out. So the better we understand what's going into it, then the you know, Oh, absolutely. Yes, yes. All right. Um, so I worked with a client a few years ago, and we were doing some modeling convective storm modeling, I understand, in the scheme of modeling is a little bit of, you know, newer uh, type of model. And we got something back. It was really crazy. Something like 0.00016% chance of a tornado hitting a certain um, area of the country. And um, six months later, that particular tornado hit. How reliable is it? Because when you're looking at something like it's a, you know, 16,000th of a chance, I mean, how reliable are CAP models when we're talking to our clients? Okay, so... This goes back to the fact that, you know, uh, models are not supposed to be right every time. They're supposed to be right on average. Uh, your, your average annual loss, you know, let's let's stick with averages because averages are easier to understand and I'll get back to the, okay. the 16,000 chance. When they say your average annual loss, let's say on a $1 billion uh, book is 20 million, right? Let's make, assume that they don't mean that you're going to get a $20 million loss every year, right? One year, you might not suffer any losses. Well, most of the years, you're not going to suffer any losses, you know, if you're a hurricane-prone area. But that one year that you do suffer that loss, it's going to be quite significant, or it could be quite significant, depending on where, you know, that event makes landfall. So $20 million is just a good number to think about, you know, in long term. But it's not how losses are going to 
ban out, they're going to ban out very violently, very, you know, there's going to be a lot of variance. So whenever you start comparing single events, you know, you're not, that's, that's the trap you fall into again. You're using a single event to try and validate performance of a model that's supposed to be, you know, right over 50,000 years or 100,000 years, right, on average. Right. And but don't run in and tell our clients we only need $20 million in coverage, huh? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly not, no. <laughs> and but, so that's where it, it gives you another metric, you know, the one of the most, the most important metrics uh, CAT models produce is an EP curve or exceedance probability curve. You know, where you say one in 250, where those numbers, one in 250, one in 100, what one in 100 event really means is that you have 1% chance of seeing an event of this size or larger every year. So it's not that it will only happen 100 years. It's like you can see this event every year. You know, there's a 1% chance you see this event or larger every year. Right. So that's why when you get an EF4 last year or an EF4 again this year, you know, that's where, that's the trap people fall in. Well, you know, it was only supposed to happen every hundred years. Why it's happening today or back to back years. That's not, that's not what the metric is saying. It's saying something else. Okay. So are there any other misconceptions, Ali, that, um, that you can think of that, that insureds will latch onto when looking at modeling? It's generally around, you know, these terms, you know, I guess average annual loss, I explained, you know, it's not supposed to be that number every year. One in 100 events are not supposed to be, you know, only every 100 years. Yeah. There's a chance that or worse can happen every year. The general, you know, idea of cat models being right every on deterministic events, like, you know, for example, uh, let's say you have uh, you have a hurricane that makes landfall in you know Miami or uh, you know, and a cat modeling firm publishes out you know a few sample storms and says, hey, these this storm is similar to the one that's making landfall right now. Why don't you run it against your portfolio and see you know what your loss is going to be? They don't expect it to be right. You know they just want to give you an idea. You know you don't think of a cap model as a point estimate. It's, it's always an estimate with some you know, variance around it. When you're modeling year over year, you should always use cap model numbers as a you know, watermark. I had this number last year. I had this number this year. What changed? That's what's the key thing to understand is, okay, what changed from year over year? Is it my PIB that's growing? If I grow too fast, you know, I had this client, I, I don't know if I remember their name, but it was for Alliant. They actually reduced a couple of hundred million dollars of their TIV and they added, you know, some other properties. But overall, the TIV came down, but their average annual loss almost doubled. And I got asked that question, this does not make any sense. You know, like the, the client was like, this does not make any sense. You know, what are these models? So when I dug in, you know, they, they removed, you know, a significant amount of, uh, you know, inland properties, but they added Florida. Right. You know? Yeah. So these are the kind of things you need to understand. Never look at, you know, numbers on the surface. Always dig through what change, what does it mean? You know, never expect it to be right year over year. 
So Justin talked a little bit about how, you know, from the bullseye effect that, you know, as we grow and um, develop, it's in certain areas where, you know, there is, uh, you know, catastrophic exposure, but do the models actually take into account climate change and weather patterns? I mean, I know you've got that piece over there, which is where are we developing, but that's just the basic question. Does it actually take that into account that not yes. economic development but the the climate change itself there is very clear evidence that the and climate is changing right the mm -hmm. climate is changing and it's changing abruptly it is a trickier evidence harder evidence to relate that to actual weather phenomena you know i'm not saying there is there's not any evidence but there is it's a harder step forward to actually say this hurricane activity was caused directly due to resulting climate change. Well, there is direct evidence, you know, that the last few years we have seen, you know, were basically supercharged because the, you know, sea surface temperatures were so high. You know, there's evidence of that. But to directly pin it on climate change, it's, it's a harder step still. For example, there's some evidence for hurricanes that the tracks are shifting eastward more and the, the storms might be and not as frequent, but might be getting stronger. So what cat modeling firms do is that, you know, they have a catalog of events usually. You know, they assess that catalog of events and make sure, you know, that that catalog of events is still, uh, it, it reflects you know, the current climate conditions and the conditions they expect, you know, over the next five years. So like RMS has something called the medium term rates, yeah, which is their best estimate of the hurricane activity for the next five years. It's an ensemble of different models. I don't want to get into details, but it's an ensemble of different models that predicts, you know, that competes to see which model can basically predict the best, you know, the hurricane activity for the next five years. And then AIR has something that they call the sea, warm sea surface temperature models. In simple terms, if you jack up the sea surface temperature, you know, what, what's your hurricane activity gonna be like? So for climate change, uh, the best thing is not to wait for models or not to you know, depend just on climate modeling. The, what, what you should do is uh, basically do a lot of sensitivity testing. You know, what if, you know, you see more hurricanes, you know, and you can, you know, you can work with uh, most vendors that can help you understand, you know, I'm talking about cat modeling vendors, you know, they can help you design these studies, you know, what if, you know, hurricane activity increases, what if severe thunderstorm activity increases. You know, that really does make a lot of sense. And we really appreciate your input as to how the cap modeling is working and how it works and then how as we we as brokers can use it to help our clients. So Justin and I really thank Ali for joining us today. Um, we recognize this is a challenging time to be in public entity risk management and we will continue to focus our podcasts on information and resources as we navigate 2020 and beyond. Thank you for listening. And for more information, go to insurance.alliant.com forward slash in the public eye.